with you. Yeah, for sure, man. Okay, welcome to the inaugural uh, stream for my channel on Twitch. Very happy to be a partner with, uh, with Amazon and Twitch. And kicking off with a show that's kind of been in my mind for a long time. I've called it Breaking Absolutes um, because I'm so passionate about this genre of music. Um, and I feel like sometimes it's misunderstood and there are a lot of stereotypes. So I want to bring on guests who I think sort of lead the charge in creating music that has an emotional core that I think uh, is appealing to pretty much anybody. So the job will be to kind of um, introduce them to it and introduce them to the artists that are creating this music with such energy and passion. And um, I'm honored today to have John Petrucci join me. Um, John and I go way, way back, but got much closer through some collaboration work that uh, he, he honored me to do with a big record they did a few years ago called The Astonishing. And um, since then, he's been gracious to uh, take my texts and my calls over the years. But he's got a bunch of new uh, music out, more music coming, and I want to talk to him on a bunch of fronts. So let me introduce John um, this way. Uh, he is the guitarist, founder, producer, lyricist for Progressive Metal Giants Dream Theater. Uh, many of you probably know these things, but I just want to kind of get them on the record. The accolades really for John uh, are, go on and on. Um, he's been voted the best prog guitarist by Prog Magazine, one of the best who's ever laid hands on a fretboard by Ultimate Evolved Guitarist, um, greatest guitarist by Burn Magazines. And I know that these are, um, these are, that sounds like hyperbole, but we'll actually, I think, show some clips here today of John's work uh, and kind of dig into this. So with, without further ado, let me bring John on. John, welcome. Hey, hey. How are you doing? What's happening? I gotta. I may have to adjust your frame. We can see you, but I've got you just a little bit off. So I'll do that as gotcha. we go. Um, hey, listen. So I, I want to begin. I've got several things I want to talk about, but I want to start with LTE three. Um, I had a chance. Uh, your publicist was gracious enough to get me a uh, a link. I've been listening to the record. I, I do like you do. I think I listen to a record start to finish. Um, I don't yeah. cherry pick the tracks. Um, and it occurred to me, and, and I could be wrong about this, you can correct me, but it feels like you guys were really thoughtful in the sort of ebb and flow between energy and introspection and um, flavors of different styles of music. Is that, would that be an accurate um, statement? Well, yeah. I, but before I answer it, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say hello. Oh, How are yes, you? Yes, you should. <laughs> good good, good to funny. see you. And uh, congratulations on your new channel here, Breaking Absolutes. Thank you for uh, having me as your inaugural guest. Oh, yeah, man. Really cool. I love your shirt. Looks like When Dreaming Day Unite, Distance Over Time. Wow. That's like first album to last. Yeah. That's pretty I, cool. I, um, I have to admit I did that. When you did the Distance Over Time, uh, the way you did it as a, as a math sort of uh, signal, um, I thought, how, how could I express my fandom? Because I am a fan in addition to us having some rapport um, from start to finish. And I thought I could write the whole thing as an equation. So there you go. This I is love a, it. Well, that, <laughs> I just made this that's up. How it actually, that, that's how it started. The whole, uh, you know, terminal, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the distance over time equation. 
when uh, we were working on the album. But anyway, um, it's good to see you. And yeah, thanks man. for that awesome introduction. I, I'm all the clamped. I don't uh, know what to say. Well, you know, there's, and, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's times when I think it's, it's, um, it's worth saying um, because uh, your, your, your work ethic uh, uh, and, and your craft has always been in evidence, even from the very, I remember the first time, I, even before I saw you guys live for the first time, I saw your instructional video and you, you did this crazy thing I'd never seen a guitarist do and you put on a metronome. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, there could be hours and hours of listening to that that could get, you know, mind-boggling. Um, yeah. And, and I remember the stories of the, 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 the hours and hours that you would practice. And I think that that's just borne fruits over time. I mean, it's not as though – I know you have a gift, but there's also been a great deal of, of effort, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, with any instrument, whether it's your voice or – you know, guitar, there, there's the craft part of it, you know, there, there's definitely the love and passion for it. And, and some people, there's no doubt, um, are, are given talents, uh, you know, that it's like they were just meant to do a certain thing, you know, play a certain sport or play a certain instrument for sure. Um, but, you know, anybody will tell you that that's been doing this professionally or tried to achieve a certain level that, that you know, that might be a small percentage of it, but that, 98% of it is all the craft yeah. on spending the time and discipline and, and practice. And I learned that at, that at an early age and I was kind of obsessed with it and it continued through it. And I'm still like that. So it's fun. Yeah. I wanna... um, also, I wanted to apologize for my very plain background. Oh, uh, yours is yours is a lot more exciting. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've been in the studio nonstop, like since last March between my solo album, Liquid Tension and Dream Theater. And uh, I'm home and there's a section uh, where, you know, th there's a lot of filming and stuff going on in my house, but there's this blue screen for the purpose of different, yeah. <laughs> different applications <laughs> right now. It's just blue. So apologies, but I do have a, at least I have a little guitar prop there. Yeah, you do. So it's not, it's not the full on uh, DT studio that I thought it would be, but anyway, I should probably answer your first question. Yeah, let's Which get I'm into it now. But no, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's we, about liquid tension. It is. I want to start, yeah. and I'm going to work. I'm going to. I've got a method to my madness here. I'm going to start. All right, cool. The most specific, and going to argue backwards to the general. I learned this in college. It's way too esoteric a thing to say on Twitch, probably. Um, so LTE. It's a. Um, I listened to this record several times, front to back, uh, mm. and and it uh, it felt to me. And I think you do this, you're very thoughtful about this on, on all of the, the records you touch as a producer. Uh, it feels like it was very thoughtful in, in the selection of songs to create some sort of emotional ebb and flow. And, and I know that that can sound like a really high-minded statement. You can tell me if I'm kind of full of myself there. But is that true? Like, do you really think about that as you go through and put the, the album together? Yeah, there's a couple of parts to that. I mean, one of them is that there is a, a small history now that this is our third album with Liquid Tension Experiment. So there is a bit of a, a content history from the, le the last two. Like, in other words, we touched on this certain kind of song and this certain kind of song, and we had some jams and we had some duets, um, and we established that a bit on the first two albums. So there is sort of a continuation with that, you know? So it's not like when we got together, we were all of a sudden going to make this album that was, you, could, you didn't recognize. We wanted to keep the LTE uh sound yeah and uh our 
our sonic aesthetic. So, so you're going to see, you know, stylistically that that stuff come into play. And as we're putting to, together the album writing, we're definitely conscious of it. Like, oh, like we really should have a high speed crazy song. Let's write that now. Yeah. Or this is all great, but it needs a little, you know, respite. Like, let's do a duet keyboard guitar. We've done that before. It worked out good. So there is that. But you know, Mike Portnoy is definitely the king of like putting together the order of events, the song sequencing, which he did for this as well. Okay. And I know that he thinks that way and he listens constantly over and over and over late night, you know, and, and comes up with an order. And, and, and so there is a flow there for sure. So it's a little bit of a combination of both that what, you know, as it's being written, we're kind of determining what's missing, what it needs, what will help make this a complete listening experience and not one dimensional. Um, and then the other part of that is just, again, it's kind of like music. It's the craft. Well, how does this all fit together now? What's the actual order of the songs? How is this going to work? And there's that part of it too. So yeah, it's definitely thoughtful. It's definitely purposeful. Um, it's, it's a little different with instrumental music because it's, you know, it's not thematically sort of connected yeah with vocals and everything and lt is it's a project this is only our third album so you know there's there, it's a little slightly more arbitrary but there is that yeah thing you that you're mentioning well let me ask you about that it's a, you actually anticipate a question so i, I okay. got onto this idea about absolute music it was actually uh, came from a lyric in one of um labrie's uh, solo records and he sings a, right. he sings a lyric that says um a, a, a life with no absolutes at all. And um, I'd heard about this in college, but I went back and I just started, I became fascinated with the idea of absolute music versus programmatic music or program music where there's no context. And a lot of times it's in, in broad strokes, it's um, instrumental music versus music that's got sort of um, a libretto or lyrics to it. Uh, but, you know, and again, this may be the Aurelian overlay, but when I listen to a lot of the music that you write, I do, I do tend to feel like there's some sort of emotional narrative to it. I can give you examples we can talk about as we go through this, but when I listen to some of the songs even on this record, and I wonder, you know, how much of that is just my reaction, how much of that is your reaction or your, your creation process, or if some of that's mm. just, um, you know, it, it, um, happenstance. Does that just kind of happen in the process? Right. Well, I mean, music, you know, art is emotional. Music is emotional. Writing, visual art, music, um, there, that, there's always that element, you yeah. know, and it's about the, making a connection with people that are listening to what you've created. Um, sometimes that's in real time in the room with other musicians, and other times it's after something is recorded and shared. But, I mean, what you're feeling, what you're describing, that the, it's your you sorry you're making an emotional connection yeah. with with what's happening musically and that, that yeah that's that's a huge huge part of it to me it's what it makes it all go around you know we could talk about the other things practicing metronome craft career bands projects you know but it all kind of boils down to and centers around the music yeah. that's coming out you know and whether or not somebody's making an emotional connection to that. And that could be anything that doesn't have to be something that's sweet and sensitive. When that's I right. say emotion, it could be anything it could yeah. be aggression, you know, it could be everything in between. So yeah, that, I, it happens as just a natural inherent part of the process. It's not something that, 
I guess it's kind of accidental, but it's also just always there. It's not something that's forced. You know, you know I don't think it's something that's thought about too much. I have this. It's, just, I, it's part of it. I think you're right. Uh, I mean, I, it's not that I don't think there are musicians who maybe start with that as a premise, like theme, and we're going to mm -hmm. explore this, even if it's musical. But um, I, I've had this idea lately about signal chain. I've been setting up my, mm -hmm. my home studio and my own vocal signal chain, and I thought maybe that signal chain, and this is a, a show idea I have, but maybe that extends back to the person. Like all of the things that have made you a player your emotional experiences, um, life experiences, all of the time on the craft, all of those things kind of channel through those moments when you're creating. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I, I, that sounds like an esoteric statement, but the thing that's true, the thing that I like about, uh, and I've always liked about your playing is I feel like there's this sort of signature John Petrucci uh, sound. I can identify it if I, even if I don't know that it's you that's playing. And I, all the great guitarists I know have that. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's a byproduct of all of the, the work and effort, uh, that comes with that. I'm wondering, like when you, do you have this sort of response to certain players where you hear it and you just kind of know that this, it, it's coming from that particular guitar player, like there's a yeah. signature sound? Of course. I mean, first of all, thank you for saying that. I mean, that, that's something th that, uh, it, it's definitely meaningful and special to me. There's so many guitar players on the planet. Yeah. You know, the fact that you're saying you can recognize my, my playing like that is is incredible. And I appreciate that. Um, I think that's something that gets honed in over time. And yeah, my favorite players, I know it's them immediately for sure. Yeah, you you, you connect with that. Um, you know, also the other thing about like the emotional side to it is I think you also get better at channeling that stuff purposefully because sometimes, you know, music there are in moments of inspiration when something hits you or you're improvising with other people or you're you know alone and something an idea comes to you but sometimes you have like goals set uh you know take the astonishing we mentioned before where there's a story that's being driven and you need to kind of evoke an, a musical emotion that is congruent with what's going on in the story like there's a way to do that like you can use your experience and your skills to, to bring that forth and like, you know, for lack of a better word, manufacture it, but, or channel it like to yeah. go to, to evoke the emotion you're trying to do. And I think that's something that, I mean, some people are just very naturally gifted at doing that. You know, I find a lot of singer songwriters are just so great at that, but um, that's something that for me, it's developed over time. And you kind of find you get better and better at it. And, you know, you can either go with the flow and be in the flow state and let whatever happens, happens, or you can set a goal with a specific, you know, outset in mind. And you find that you get, you know, are you, are you, did you get to where you wanted to go? Yeah. You know, did you accomplish that? And when you can sit back and say, yeah, I did. This sounds exactly what, what I was trying to do here or what we were trying to do if it's a band effort. Um, so yeah, it's let's, a little, it's a, it's a big mix of things. Let's channel it back to LTE3. So you guys, yeah. um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you do these recording projects, you, you do the recording in a very focused amount of time. It's not like you're in the yeah. studio for six months. No, it's very quick, yeah. In so, fact, when, we, uh, when we're writing the songs, um, 
there on on this album there are four sort of like you know complete original written songs from beginning to end um that would be the passage of time beating the odds the, the key to the imagination and uh hypersonic and while we're writing those songs you know it's very like you got four guys interacting really quickly ideas fly really quickly and you latch on to things really quickly and and understand it as an ensemble really quickly so we take advantage of that by just recording it right away. Oh yeah. So we, it's not like we have to write the whole song and then perform it somehow magically live and say, okay, that was a good take. You know, it's like if we're onto a section and it sounds good and it might only be 30 seconds or it might be two minutes, we just track it right then and there. Um, and, you know, not to get too technical, but we build the session as well. And our engineer is building the, the markers and the tempo and labeling and you know it, it's being built so by the time we're done section by section by section by section we could either edit move things around change things shorten get rid of a part whatever but the song is being constructed yeah. as we go and uh it just makes it move really quickly and then some of those performances that were captured in those moments especially the drums we just keep yeah you know, it's like well that was good why do that again you know, if Mike wanted to recut it or do something a little better or develop something, he certainly could do that. And he did do that. But yeah. some of those moments were just off the floor, like while it was being written. It has, it, um, these records to me have always had a little bit of that feel of um, spontane spontaneity. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's uh, composition going on, but it very much feels like, you know, a set of musicians who are kind of at a place with their instrument that they can express their musical ideas with enough facility that, uh, they can kind of go at it and have these spontaneous moments. It has that feeling. Right. I think it's one of the reasons fans love it so much. Yeah. And you make quick decisions too. You know, uh, it's, it's kind of purposely designed that way. So it's like you move on, you know, you make, like it is not, you're not mulling over this song and its structure for months at a time. You know, it's like, okay, that was good. Let's move on to the next section. It's it keeps it sort of like this adventure when you, when you're listening I find myself when I listen to liquid tension experiment music and, and, and dream theater as well, for the most part, um, you're, and this is from me being a uh, objective listener, which sounds funny if you're in the band, but I, I'm able to do that and need to do that as a producer and just as a listener. Yeah. Um, I put myself in that seat. And what I find is like, it feels like I'm on a ride like where you don't know what's going to happen next. It's like some sort of adventure and journey and it doesn't get too comfortable for too long. Something's, something's going to happen around the corner. Yeah. And it, it keeps it exciting. Yeah. Um, well, let me, I'm going to uh, show uh, a bit of, of one of the tracks and we'll, we can talk as this is kind of playing. Um, this is, I think the most recently released track hypersonic. Yeah. Um, and the record, by the way, comes out in two days. Is that right? On the 16th? It comes out on, yeah, Friday the 16th, two days to release. So we're really close. Yes, um, we are. I want to talk about a couple of the tracks. Um, I've got notes on everything, dude. There's no way we're going to cover um, all of it because there's other things I want to talk about. But let's focus sure. here for a few minutes. Um, it, I know we're listening to Hypersonic. By the way, this is one of the songs that for me has got a, a signature John moment. 
I was I was driving along. I took a long drive. I do that when I listen to your records, and I just let it repeat yeah. a few, couple of times. And the solo for this hit that's just that's just quintessential, John. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, it's it's um I get those little chill bumps. Uh, you're, yeah. I, I I still I'm I guess I haven't outgrown that for some reason in my adulthood. Um, no, I'm with you. <laughs> but uh, there's a couple of other tracks I just wanted to ask more about. So. Uh, Beating the Odds uh, is one of my favorite tracks on the particular record. Um, this is this is one of the ones that got me thinking again about this absolute music idea because I really felt like uh, something inside the music was suggestive of the title. And I know, again, this might be, um, I don't know, this might just be the way I react to music. And so it's, um, you know, a Peter thing. But... Uh, I'm wondering, does the music suggest to you uh, connotations for, for titling? Um, like, you know, it sounds yeah. like you've got the happy song off of Terminal Velocity that we'll talk about. <laughs> and that song, you can't, I think, you, I don't think you can listen to it without smiling, right? Exactly. That's the whole reason. <laughs> the title is perfect. <laughs> um, um, I'm smiling just talking about it. Um, yeah, the t I mean, it's instrumental music, so kind of like, I mean, you can name songs anything, really, you know? Um, but it's 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 fun when first of all the titles come after for sure. Uh, the, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes because you have no lyrical concept, um, and sometimes the titles are like a little bit arbitrary. In the case of Hypersonic, it's descriptive. I would say, you know, what what does this song sound like? It sounds hyper. It sounds, you know, hyper sound like hypersonic because of the tempo and the way it starts. Beating the odds, same thing. You know, it, the the funny thing about that, people might have heard us talk about this in, in different interviews and stuff like that, or press releases. But you know, some of this music was written at, out of jams that we had, but some of it was ideas that I brought in or Jordan brought in, little seeds and things. And I had this opening riff idea, and played it for the guys, and it was just, it, it's when you get used to the feel of it, it's really simple. It's a seven riff, and it actually has almost a, a dance groove to it. But they couldn't wrap their heads around how I was feeling it and tapping my foot. And it kind of like threw everybody for a loop. So coming up with a title that kind of speaks to that history, like beating the odds, ah. kind of makes sense. You know, because it's like an odd time. Everybody's trying to understand what's going on. <laughs> and uh, there's obviously the drum beat, so you can use that. So it's a little bit of uh, playfulness in that title. And that's always fun when that works out. You know, for sure. Even the passage of time is like that as well. You know, talking about how much time has passed since um, since our last album. And, of course, musical passages and time signatures and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so there's a lot of all this, layers you can yeah, yeah, think about. Yeah, you have some fun with it. Instrumental, like I said, you could have, you know, I once thought of naming a song Giant Wooden Fish for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, so you could do that as well, but it's kind of fun when when the title yeah. is a little descriptive or makes sense. The other uh, track I immediately gravitated to was your cover of Rhapsody in Blue. Um, yeah. Is there any backstory on why that particular song to cover? Well, originally it was suggested by Mike when we did a uh, we did a short tour. I forget how many years ago. Um, that we only played a few shows. We played like New York, L.A., Chicago, and. We played a, a, a Prague festival in Pennsylvania, and Mike had this idea. Hey, I've always he said I've always wanted to do a cover of Rhapsody in Blue, and it's funny. Like when 
when he came to us with that, because if you think about that song, if you've heard Gershwin's your orchestral version or even the piano version, like it's hard to imagine a rock arrangement of it. Um, you know, it's an intense piece. It's long. It's complicated. It has very super recognizable melodies and passages that almost everybody on the planet would yeah. recognize. It's yeah. such an iconic piece. So it was a challenge to come up with the arrangement, but we did it. We played it live. It's actually on. We did some live liquid tension releases. But uh, coming in to do this project, Mike once again said, hey, that was so cool. Not everybody has heard it. Would you guys be into doing a studio version of it? And we, were, we all said, yeah, that's a, that would be awesome. It came and, out. Uh, it came out great. I, people are going to love this you. track. Um, cool. Because it's, it's, my, it's one of my favorite moments. I know we didn't write it. So, <laughs> me, you know, maybe that's why it's, it's George Gershwin. Well, your, <laughs> your interpretation of it, though, um, what I love about it is it, is it, it starts so uh, simply with the, yeah. the iconic um, melodies. And then I, I, you'd expect this from you guys, but it kind of, it, it just continues to build and build and build. Um, and there's, there's um, your own flavors of, uh, and um, riffs and things introduced, but they're all, they all feel of a family with the song. Like I, I think yeah. if Gershwin heard it, he would be um, flattered with the arrangement. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but um, it's, it's probably my second favorite track on the whole record. I'm excited for fans to hear it. Uh, me too. And you know what? It's uh... It, it, it fits right in with the other compositions. I know we didn't write it, but for some reason, the way the arrangement was done, it doesn't stick out as like, why is this on the album? It feels like a Liquid Tension song somehow, you know? It does. Um, well, you guys made yeah, it so, your own so for sure. So it works. You, um, What's that? You guys made it your own. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, as, and as... You know, it's interesting too, that opening melody, like that's Tony playing that on a stick. So it's like, there's so many really like, super cr cool, creative Tony moments on on the whole album, but on that song as as well. And, well, uh, that's I mean I, um, I I love covers, you know, but I, I mostly love them when the artist tries to somehow integrate themselves to yeah to it. Um, sure. So you guys did a, a great job there. I'm gonna just call out a couple of tracks for people who hear this. Um, the Chris and Kevin's Amazing Journey is just really cool. Uh, it's a that's a fun break, uh, right in the middle of the record. Yeah, there, there was a, an afternoon uh, or an evening. I, I wasn't sure when it happened, uh, where Mike and Tony just did some improvs, just the two of them, and and Tony, you know, picked up uh, his Chapman stick, different basses. I be, I believe that song he was playing an upright bowed electric bass or something like that. <laughs> sounds like some sort of creature and so they had all these jams to kind of choose from so mike you know kind of picked that little excerpt from one of the jams they did and it's, it's just really cool yeah it's a great moment it's it's, it's, it's all improvised and it yeah i'd read that and it's 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 a nice moment on the record um with just a different feeling to it yeah um works really well where it sits in the mix so kudos to to mike if he helps orchestrate that I wanted to ask, um, as we kind of move over a little bit to talk about um, uh, terminal velocity, um, what what for you distinguishes um, LTE from your solo work? I mean, there's there's mm -hmm. the obvious, which is maybe there's a, a player change, um, but is there something about how you think about that music as hey, this is just as 
John uh, Petrucci's solo record versus a collaboration? Sure. Well, I, probably the biggest thing is that I, I'm on my solo albums, I, I wrote them both myself. So Suspended Animation and Terminal Velocity. There's nobody else in the room when I'm writing them. It's just me and, you know, my engineer in this case, as I was writing in real time and he was recording stuff, but I'm not collaborating with other musicians. So it's just whatever is kind of coming out of my head and, uh, you know, oh, okay, let me try going here. It's not like you're bouncing the idea off with somebody else. That's the biggest, yeah. biggest difference. Whereas liquid tension is collaborative. We're in the same room, we're improvising, we're trading ideas, you know, you're handing the baton you're interacting, you're responding, you're reacting. My solo album is not that. It's just all from my brain and whatever <laughs> sounds good to me at the moment. It's also, uh, it's all about the guitar. Yeah. That might sound selfish, but it's a solo album. So, you know, there's no keyboards, there's no guest artists, there's no vocals, there's no other players. It's just about, I, I wanted to give people with both, both albums a window into what, you know, what does it sound like when I pick up the guitar and, and play? What are the things I like to play? What styles do I like to play? What's my sound? What's coming out of my creative head? Um, and so I wanted to be all about that with no other distractions. So it's really super, super guitar focused and the guitar is taking on all the melodies and all the solos. It's not shared by anybody else. So again, very selfish of me, but Hey, you know, it's a solo album. So yeah. I, get, I get to do it there. Well, that was going to um, be one of my questions. It kind of scratches yeah. an itch that you can't scratch when you're collaborating, right? Because you're right, right. You're, a collaboration yeah, by design it. needs space for the other players. Yeah, exactly. And and liquid tension, you know, because you have other players involved um, with different backgrounds and history and stylistic uh, specialties that they're playing, you might explore different styles. Uh, insides you know liquid tension gets like a little jazzy sometimes a little new agey sometimes yeah you know you have the side that i bring you know the riffy side and the heavy side that kind of mike and i bring um and you have jordan's beautiful classical side and his ability to kind of play any style and you know tony's you know experienced style where he could bring anything in and it's quirky and it's crimsony sometimes or it's super amazing grooves like it's something you hear in a peter gabriel album so you have all that and so you take the music in a, in those different directions for, for me with my solo album i'm coming from like what do i like specifically as a guitar player and i like you know music that has a lot of melody i like i like you know great grooves and heavy riffs and seven string guitar i like to play blues every once in a while yeah um i like latin and jazz and you know latin feels and I'm getting a bit into gypsy jazz guitar and stuff like that. So it's like, you'll hear the things that excite me as an individual, you know, and, and that's in my box as opposed to, you know, bouncing ideas off of all these different people with, with different sensibilities and ideas. That's another good way to describe it. it real quick, before we talk more about terminal velocity, um, there's a moment in Rhapsody in Blue. One of my favorite, like, different genre groups is a group by the name of Mannheim Steamroller. And yeah. um, they have a, an album series called Fresh Air. And they, they kind of kicked off that whole um, new, new age type of music uh, back in the day. But they, in their fifth album, the whole theme is sort of space. And there, there's moments in um, Rhapsody in Blue that felt like, felt like that. And I thought, how cool that a record could touch so many different sort of musical and I'm not, not that it was intentional, 
but uh, in terms of like trying to be a, a new age sound, but there's so many different flavors on the record that um, it's just a delight to listen to. I, I don't mean to get into too much sort of hero worship here, but the record is really diverse. Um, the listening experience right. is, it, it just, it, it never becomes, it's always surprising. Um, so I'm, I commend that record to anybody who's listening. It's, it's a fantastic record. Nice. Awesome. I got to check it out. Um, no, but I was talking about you. I was talking oh, about LTE3. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Mannheim Steam Record. Well, I like those Steam, two. Steam Record. Steam Roller <laughs> Record. Okay. Well, no, thank you for saying that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't take credit for that. You know, again, the Gershwin piece, that the middle section is just so gorgeous and beautiful. And it's like we tried our best to kind of recreate that in our setting, you know, I was using volume swells on the guitar to kind of imitate violins and Jordan yeah. had a beautiful atmospheric sound. In fact, the middle section of that song is actually taken from the live version of us, I think in LA. Oh, and we just, we just used it for the studio version because of a couple of reasons. One was it's so rubato and so just kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to do that type of thing in the studio. I suppose we could have, but it was just done in such a cool way, I think, from that live version. And it kind of tips the hat to that. So yeah. the middle section of Rhapsody, our version, is from a live a live version. That's so it's cool. cool. That is cool. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk more about Terminal Velocity. So um, your, your team, I was kind of looking at this, doing a little research, other than... Um, uh, Dave LaRue returning seems like your sort of team for the terminal velocity record was entirely different. Is that, is, you know, your, your engineer. All that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that just, was that a, a function of COVID or is that just evolving relationships over time? Well, it's evolving relationships. I mean, Jimmy T our engineer is somebody who we've known for many years now. He's a young guy. Um, and he started as an a, assistant on a project at Cove, city the studio on long oh, island yeah. when i'm trying to think of what album he assisted on first if it was the astonishing or before that um anyway he kind of uh we took him on the road and he was a member of our our uh live touring crew and then uh and he and he did a lot of projects for us in between eventually with starting with distance over time um we said hey you know why don't you engineer this record which he did and he did such a brilliant job and he only gets better and better and better that he's like our staple guy now yeah jimmy t's the man in fact he mixed the the dream theater live distant memories live from london oh did he, he? mix that for us yeah he recorded and engineered my solo album liquid tension and the new dream theater album and he's just brilliant he's a really talented guy um so so that's a relationship over time turned it to somebody that uh, I really trust in that position and yeah. just super easy to work with. And the studio that we did all these projects in, it's the new dream theater studio. We call I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we started, my solo album was the first record we did there. And so between him and Maddie, my guitar tech, um, you know, who, who those guys built the place out and set up the control room and the live room and wired everything. So he's intimate with the way the studio runs. Yeah. And just so he was the perfect personnel, not only for my solo album, for, but for all the stuff moving forward. Um, in the case of uh, Dave LaRue, same guy, obviously, with my solo album, the first one. Yeah. And I toured with Dave many, many times with G3. Mike Portnoy is a newcomer. 
to my solo <laughs> album. Um, obviously, played in the band with him for 25 years. We did. He did play my solo music from Suspended Animation live with G3. We had fun doing that. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I did my first album, first solo album, I didn't want to use a Dream Theater member. So yeah. I used different drummers. Now, this time around, you know, 15 years later, Mike is not a Dream, dream Theater member anymore. So he was uh, eligible for me to use. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're all off the road because of the pandemic. Mike was home and I asked him to do it. He said yes. And so the drums on Terminal is obviously Mike Portnoy, which made not only me happy, Mike happy, but a lot of fans happy to hear us together again. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. When and you... then as far as the mix engineering, I was trying to think about who somebody who could mix this, my solo album, who, you know, was going to be great with guitars and like kind of bring this heavy edge. And I've been a big fan of Andy Sneap for a while. And uh, it just kind of came to me one day. I'm like, oh, I wonder if Andy would do that. He would, I think he would crush this yeah so uh andy came on board and mixed the record and then the artwork was done by uh an artist who dream theater used um not for cover art but for a lot of things that people might not know in fact the astonishing artwork was done by a different artist but this artist sean Moser Moser smith did the whole layout for the astonishing and he did our tour uh posters and marketing and our tour programs and our merchandise and my solo album art and my all my merch and so and the lte art oh did he and, you know he's a super super talented guy so yeah so the the team is evolving and changing we're meeting new people they're they're i guess in all those cases with the exception of andy who's literally somebody who i just just met um for for terminal um there are all these developing relationships like you said, well, when you find funny. when you find that person that um, mm -hmm. understands your vision can help you communicate yeah. it, it you know you you want to continue to build that rapport. You um, do, and you have a hit. You know, you kind of learn how you work together, and when you you could communicate it, whether it's the the person who's tracking the guitar and the drums and just gets it, yeah, and the, you know, and the snare just sounds so good, and the guitar tone just is mic'd perfectly, and you know, you're, you're tracking, you're, you're recording and he's there with pro tools and he's editing and he's right there. Like you have this, like this relationship that's kind of like unspoken sometimes with an engineer that's, that's on that level. And so, you know, you want to work with that person. They want to work with you. Same with artists, you know, same yeah. with mix engineers, you get it. The person gets it. You call them, you have these great conversations. They deliver what you're looking for. You could be open and creative and uh it, it's not it's not a struggle you know it's not forced it's just like in the same way that i guess band members have chemistry yeah personnel exactly. there's chemistry between artists there's chemistry between engineers and mixers and yeah for sure yeah it's really cool when you find the right people it's a great experience yeah if you want to keep them around you, you there yeah. that shared history translates to efficiency over time absolutely right? um absolutely um so on the record, uh, it's another that I think is uh, just kind of filled with diversity. Um, a favorite tune of mine is uh, "The Odd Father." Uh, you oh, know, cool. and you can hear you can you, you can kind of hear the nod um, audibly in the song to Sicily and you know the, the Godfather a little bit. But of course, it takes off from there. Um, yeah. Now there's another track um, out of the blue, which is is starts with some blues stuff and it's got it's got blues flavor throughout it got me wondering um do you have 
uh, are there blues players you love to listen to guys, you know, who that's just kind of their niche and they inspire you. Right. Well, I mean, Stephen Ray Vaughan's one of my favorite of all time for yeah. sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I, and I know that song might not necessarily be in that a style of a Stevie song, but I just draw inspiration for him yeah. big time. Uh, and another guy would be Gary Moore in, in kind of more appropriately playing in that style I was doing, which is more of a, just like a gainy lead sound in, in with more of a rock, I yeah. guess, sensibility to it. Um, sometimes I'll think of players like Larry Carlton, you know, uh, Robin Ford a little bit, you know, they're, yeah. they're a bit more jazzy, but I'll, I'll kind of like think along those lines. Uh, sometimes John Schofield, again, a little, maybe a little more outside, a little more milesy, but they're it's all a, in there. They're all in my brain as I'm kind of creating these lines. And I mean, and, and it's filtered through, you know, you as a player, it's distinctive. Um, I know that it's not as to the blues, but uh, it's another one of those right. songs that I love where it kind of begins with a, a simple line and premise, but just really grows. Um, it just has this sort of, yeah. Well, that that I think that kind of like boils down to the the creative side, the compositional side, because like I'm playing in in a bluesy style as far as my phrasing, but the song is written in such a way where it's coming from my sensibilities as a writer. Like, what do yeah. I, what do I like? You know, it's not just a straight blues. Like, it kind of moves into this more right. melodic, like dregsy Steve Morsey thing. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's what good. I like. You know, it doesn't. Yeah have a normal blues turnaround on the five chord because that's cool, but it's traditional. Like I kind of twisted it to make it sound more like something I would like. That's maybe more proggy or something like that. So yeah. it's like in the style that this guitar style I'm playing is definitely blues E yeah. <laughs> but the compositional style is mixed up with my own thing. Yeah. Well, the compositional and, and style makes is it John Petrucci. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, um, these are just these are just reference points is all right. Um, yeah, I got thinking when I when I listened to Glass Eyed Zombies, which is just this really great crunchy track. I got yeah. me wondering um, how much, if any, uh, game licensing you've had with your music. And I know I know huh. that there have been plenty of uh, of like guitar hero and rock bands, things like that. Yeah. But I mean, this track would be perfect for like The Last of Us or dying light or resident evil like who on your team can we talk to about licensing this in for like zombie games for real um, well I mean, we used we used to be able to talk to you remember <laughs> that's right yeah back at xbox that's right the pe i don't know if people know that history either and i don't know if you like to talk about it or not or oh it's when, yeah I, um, that's how we met you that you were you were at xbox and you brought in we wrote a song for right we wrote god of war yeah a song for God of War, yeah. Yeah, we did uh, that. I my great story there is I had a program at Microsoft at Xbox called Game with Fame, and since I got to select the artists, I selected you guys for one of them. That was awesome. And I got to fly to New York um, on Microsoft. This is my favorite part of the story: is on Microsoft's dime, we went to like one of the most expensive steak houses in I, Manhattan. I remember it clearly. That was an awesome steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, we like, someone ordered like two huge um, um, sea like all this ice and every kind of shellfish and clam you can imagine is there. And wow. um, I remember because I turned in my expense report and the, 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 the tab was like over a thousand dollars for that dinner. 
And I, di I didn't even bat an eye because Microsoft's got how many gajillions right. of dollars. And it just gave me so much joy to be able to, to do that. Um, and I, I got to visit, I think you guys were recording in Manhattan too. I think there was a studio downtown. Um, yeah, I don't remember the timing of it because the track we actually recorded on Long Island, the uh, okay. Raw Dog that we did for that, yeah. But anyway. But that was fun. That was that a was great a, dinner, yes. It's a great moment. <laughs> Your son came when he was just little. Oh my God, that's right. You brought your that's boy. Crazy. Now I think he's wow. graduated, right? From wow. College or something. He's well. He's twenty five now. That yeah. little boy. He's he's not yeah. a boy anymore. He's a man. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a fun night. Uh, Absolutely. Um. So anyway, yeah. So we 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 cross paths a lot during the Xbox days. But yeah. I don't, so so to answer your question, I mean, I mean, yeah, I I'd love. I think my mus my music would go well with video games for sure, especially modern. Yeah, interpretations. It only happened for me once in the past. Some people know this, some people don't. But I was asked to do music for a Sega Saturn yeah. uh, game. That's dating me big time. Um, <laughs> and and I wrote. Uh, this company hired me to write two pieces, like an intro piece and an outro piece, for a game they had called Necronomicon. Okay. And I did that. It's like a minute and a half piece and a two and a half minute or something like that. And uh, you can find it. It's out there. And that was the only time I had a song as part of a video game. Well, maybe we'll spread the word. Um, yeah, spread the, the word. That's something you'd be open to. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll direct them. Anybody, if, if anybody calls, we'll direct them to Frank. Is Frank the right guy? Absolutely. Okay. Well, th there's, you know, there's so much instrumental music uh, between all the stuff, my solo albums and liquid tension, like there's so much stuff that would work. My solo music is the little, probably has more of the intense, darker side to it that would be fitting to some of these games. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Know. Those, um, there's a lot of that. There's, it's just this right. uh, frenetic drive that you hear right. a lot in this, in the genre. So absolutely. Um, maybe when we're done, I've still got friends back there. Maybe I'll shoot them. There you go. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Dream Theater. Um, I know you guys are, well, do you just tell me, where are you at in the process on the next record? Sure. Well, we started, it's, you know, it's, it's been a crazy year not being on the road because of COVID and, and everything like that. So I've literally kind of been, it, the studio that I talked about has been my second home, like since March. And I went from my solo album to Liquid Tension over the summer and October, of last year, the band got together and um, we started work on the record. We, we finished it up just at the end of March and uh, it's in the, the mix stage now. It'll be out later this year. I can't really talk too much about it. You know, we'll, we'll reveal more and more about its context and contents and yeah. title and personnel and everything like that as it gets closer, the, the way that we always do. We always like to have fun with the release and the, yeah, you guys do. And the build up to that. But, uh, you know, the only th thing I could really say is, uh, yeah, it's all done and recorded and being mixed. And uh, it, it, we had a lot of fun doing it. You know, I don't know if it's pent up energy from everybody being home because of the pandemic, but uh -huh. everybody brought their A game and came to play and the songs kick ass. And it's really, uh, I think it's, I'm really, really proud of it. So I can't wait for people to hear it. It'll, it'll be some time. It'll be out later this year, but. Well, yeah, um, yeah. just, just to kind of be sure in one place, if people want to start uh, getting excited, uh, Jordan yeah. was quoted as saying, people are going to freak out 
And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Mike said, it's energetic. I love this phrase, energetically unrelenting. Um, nice. And then he told this whole story uh, about walking, I guess, from a recording session or something out to the cars. And he's like, man, we're kind of getting over, like, past the middle age part a little bit. And we're playing more frenetically than we ever have. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just a testament. I, I um, I don't know what to expect, but if you guys are like this amped on just the energy going into the record, I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot of energy. I mean, you know, as with Dream Theater has a, a long history now and long career, and this is our 15th studio album. And, you know, That's right. Uh, better than uh, just as just as well as me how things are received sometimes better than others yeah that's you never true. know you expectations never know. You can be to be, tough right <laughs> right you never you never know how something it's going to be received you know you you put your best foot forward and you do your best work and you feel great and confident and you put it out there um but i will say that i am super excited about this one and we we definitely we definitely put it all out there oh, for that's... sure there is there is no um What's the word? We we were not musically lazy in any <laughs> way. <laughs> well, I read a story too that talked about how you'd get to a part and you'd do something and it'd be good and and a lot of times you just push yourselves to go an extra mile to make it that much more distinctive. Um, yeah, and and that's a that's a creative principle that I've seen even in my other life and my writing life is you can do something that will be that will work fine, but usually the things that resonate are where you've pushed yourself a little bit further for. Uh, something that's more unique, uh, something that's yeah. going to be more surprising or, or different. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you continue to ask questions. And I always kind of use like myself as a barometer, like, is this something I'm into and excited and can't wait to share with somebody and I'm, I'm proud of, or is it something that's boring me? If it's boring me, then it's not going to be exciting to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I think also just the, the, uh, the series of events like that. I did my solo album, then Liquid Tension, then Dream Theater, all in our, eight, our DTHQ studio. You know, we learned as we went along, those albums were engineered and put together, uh, you know, during that time. And, and I think the, the process has become, it's just gotten better and better the way that we're recording and tracking the drums and the sounds we're getting and stuff. So it's cool. It's cool. We got all of that experience into this Dream Theater record. Sounds better than ever. Well, and I, I mean, I don't know that this is a case, but it, to me, it kind of would stand to reason that now that you've got your own space, you're yeah. never having to acclimate to a new, a new space, a new area. You know where all the, right. you know what I mean? So the comfort yeah. might just be a benefit. It's great. It's great. And somebody asked me um, the other day if, uh, if, if when we're in the studio, is it the type of thing where, you know, we're coming back five days later, like, looking for the perfect snare drum and you know trying to get that right like and the answer is no it's like we're dialed like i our engineer is so good you know it's like we set up the gear and assuming that it's the right gear and all the the research that went into us picking the gear we use whether it's signature gear or gear that we endorse and why we use it because we love the way it sounds and then it's mic'd up professionally you know it's like we start playing and it already sounds good we're not sitting there searching for weeks for a yeah. guitar sound or like whatever you know it's just it's there and that's that's real what's really great about having the studio space too is there there is that consistency yeah, and yeah. you know the space you know the room you could spend unlimited um, unlimited hours there there's not like a uh, financial clock ticking 
you know, with an hourly rate or overhead. So it's really cool. So yeah, it must, yeah. it also probably eases the, the spend, right? Um, oh yeah, for absolutely. Like quite a bit. Um, cause I don't think that I would have, you know, between with all three of these projects, especially probably my solo album, I don't think I'd, I, I would have been able to do it if we didn't have this space. Mm, you know, especially because of COVID in the beginning in New York and like yeah, yeah. the restrictions and locked, you know, studios and it would have been a mess. And then I, I might've been trying to do it at home in my home studio and it just wouldn't have been as inspired or something. I don't know. I, I it's really like a blessing, this whole having this space to do it. And you know, yeah, yeah. Just having a place to drive to and go and, and put your head down and work. Yeah. Home away from home. Yeah. Um, the so I gotta I gotta ask you about the eight string. Um, yeah. Uh, how did that? I mean, it, it's it's by itself. It's just a cool idea, and, and certainly mm. gives you more notes. But is there is there something you discovered in the use of the eight string in writing this record that opened up a dimension or a, a capacity that just like thrilled you, excited right. you? Right. It was definitely exciting. Uh, you know, this this is something that. Uh, I'd been talking to Ernie Ball Music Man about for several years, doing a an eight string version of my guitar. We we decided to use the Majesty as as the the build for it. You know, so it'll be an eight string Majesty. And um, you know, for me, I, I guess instead of approaching writing on the guitar from from a place where there are eight string artists that I liked or styles of music that used eight string that I wanted to kind of emulate and reproduce instead of coming from that place I kind of just took it as all right my guitar has one more string you know my like let's say my seven string now has one more string so yeah what else could I do with that and it's just like thinking of a piano that just goes lower like on the left hand like there's more variations on riffs and where you can take them and keys that might sound better because you can go below certain notes you're not restricted to the normal range of the guitar yeah and that's the way i approached it so you'll hear you'll hear on the song there's one track on the dream theater album with eight string and you'll hear the riff is it, it uses that range <laughs> and it's just really like i can't wait and, to hear that it, yeah it's cool sounding so it's, it sounds like me playing you know it sounds like dream theater it's just i have two more strings than a normal guitar <laughs> and uh it's fun and it's it it's mean and has a lot of attitude and you know it's just as proggy and technical as anything you'd expect but just with more with lower notes more, more notes <laughs> um i i do i did get one uh well actually several people asked me um and i don't i mean we've maybe talked about this before but was there ever, and maybe you can't disclose this, but was there ever a, a live recording of the Astonishing? Is that is that? Do you think there's a day where there'll be a release of something like that, or is that right? I would love to do that. I mean, there are we uh, multi-track recorded every show, okay. so there is audio of every show on that tour for sure. So I, that is something I would love to put together as as a release would be the Astonishing live. Um, the thing that we don't have, which just kills me, I lose sleep over, is that we never filmed the show. Oh, um, no. Yeah, there's no, and, and, and we restricted uh, cameras and filming, so there's no even like fan recordings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so you know that was like without a doubt the best dream theater production we've ever put on oh yeah dude. and we intended to film it for a dvd in a very special location and never got the opportunity because we shifted our uh the 20th anniversary of scene of um images and words we shifted our whole thing yeah um anyway well, yeah maybe there's a special engagement because uh there's because of the way yeah. you guys decided to tour that record with mm-hmm. in the theaters um there's 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 plenty of people especially because some of the the conversation is man when you see this live it really comes to life in a unique way yeah so i don't know maybe there's a future date where you can film it because i think that there's a pent-up audience for it that would be amazing that that's something that would take a lot of work yeah it would be a lot of fun i i don't know if i told you about this peter but this is something that i i wish in retrospect we did and first of all, I, 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 know, I know we're getting close to our time, but I want people to understand. Oh, my time is not our, limited. We'll go as long as you're able. Gotcha. Um, I wanted people to, to realize the, the connection that you wrote the novel to The Astonishing. I, I wrote the, the short story to, you know, to create the album and, and I wrote the lyrics, but you know, when you and I talked and, and James read and I read your previous works and, you know, we knew you were the right guy, you know, you went in and wrote the full novel to the astonishing, which is mind blowing and absolutely love it. And if anybody, if, you know, whoever likes that record, and if you haven't read the novel, you really, really gain an understanding. But um, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I feel in retrospect, I would have liked to have done things way differently where we actually put the book out first before the album yeah, and then book the tour. And then you buy the album at the tour, you know, the same, the same way you would as like with a Broadway production or something like that, because the reaction that people had walking out of those theaters was like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, and they got it and they, and it was just the full overall experience. Um, whereas if you just heard the album for the first time, unless you're a super open-minded dream theater fan, which most thankfully sure. are, you might not get it or it might not be what you expect, or you might be like, this doesn't sound like dream theater. So if it's, we would have flipped things around and done it that way, that would have been really cool. I but, think it would have been. <laughs> I think it would have had a, a different impact. I mean, it's the same yeah. way if you listen to a soundtrack for a Broadway show, this, right. the songs can still be great, but once you understand the story and you get right. and, and, and you guys, you had the visuals helped to, to evoke that live, sure. um, the way James would sing it and sort of uh, participate in the characterization, all that stuff translated so well in the live show. It and, did. um, uh, that's, I mean, you just can't get all of that on the sound recording. So no, and it it was the live show was like going on a ride, like I talked about before, because we had these crazy LED screens that were at different stage depths. Um, that sometimes it just looked like the whole stage the drum kit was flying. You know, it was amazing. Um, and the the company that spent the time doing all those visuals was just absolutely incredible at what they did, and they even built. A, uh, a nomac a physical working nomac that was in the lobbies of the theaters where people can interact with and get their photos taken those those would show in the intermission 
and we we you know we thought of everything we had our whole crew was like in matching jumpsuits everybody <laughs> played the part there were playbills it, it was it was hardcore and and the venues that we picked too were all super super special and we do were. a couple of nights you know especially throughout europe we'd, we'd stay two or three nights in a in a location of course we played radio city music hall sold out which was okay. just just always a thrill being in uh from new york and so anyway it's very special long long answer to your question we don't have a filmed version we could do but we could certainly release a live audio version that that would be fun yeah well at some yeah. point some point i think um people would love that um yeah. the the um just a couple of quick questions just more about john petrucci um and then and then i'm sure you've got other things to do um today i have so, a couple of chickens i'm gonna smoke tonight actually uh, so this is one of the questions i have about john <laughs> petrucci is so you and i talked about this at one point but you um when you kind of make up your mind about something mm. it's not you and you were, when we talked about this it's not obsessive but it's like you kind of go all in all your chips mm. go in you did this with guitar uh, you you did it when you started to work out. By the way, if anybody hasn't seen the press photo for the LTE three with these these four guys standing there, John's in profile, and his arm from <laughs> bicep to tricep is as big as every other band member's head. It's 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 kind of a it's a testament to this personality trait of yours where you just commit, and you did when you started to do, go with the beard. Yeah, the beard became such a thing. You've got your own product line we want to talk about, but. Um, I have to know because I've seen so many pictures now of you grilling. Are you this fanatic about grilling? <laughs> well, okay. So, so it's funny. Yeah. The, you know, there's definitely certain things that I become a little obsessed about for sure. And, you know, part of the photo trick is you have to flex when the photo is taken, <laughs> make sure you're at the right angle. Yeah. Well, you flex did it, tricep. man. It's a, I actually, that was the first thing I saw when I saw that photo. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my goodness. John, John, I, I worry about, I have to tell you, I worry about your fingers because you're in there yeah. in the gym. I'm like, he's going to drop one of those things and crush them. Oh, crush don't a bone. say that. Yeah. Be careful. Well, you, you know what? Actually, no joke. Like you have, I am super, super careful. Obviously. Yeah. Um, you have to be when you're throwing around metal. Yeah. Heavy metal. Uh, well, you've got weights, a home, but, yeah. a home gym, right? Or at least some. I do. Home yeah, can... I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you learn also like things that you shouldn't do. Like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super careful and you just, you just have to be, I mean, I'm a guitar player. I, yeah. So, but back to the grilling injuries like that, but it's... the grilling thing. So, so listen, um, you know, several years ago, um, obviously, the, the guitar company that I've been with for 20 years, we're actually celebrating 20 years this year, which is a whole nother oh, topic. And by the way, let me interject uh, yeah. um, and give you a plug there is I, and I didn't yeah. know this, but when I was looking the Ernie ball music man, John Petrucci, JP six is the second best selling signature model of all time behind only less Gibson, uh, uh, Gibson, less Paul, which technically isn't yeah. even a signature model. Right. That, that is an insane stat that ju it just blows my mind. Um, I, I'm so humbled by that. And I, I love that so many people all around the world are, are enjoying the instrument because that's what it's all about. Yeah. This whole like design headspace where, you know, I, I'm driven to, to guitar and instrument, uh, musical instrument uh, design. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that that's been facilitated by and done so expertly by the engineers and the, and everybody in the ball family 
over the last 20 years. It's just so, so cool. And that stat that you just said is mind blowing. It just makes me so grateful. Well, um, I have to tell you, I see the, lots of videos around YouTube of guitar yeah. guys, just good players with a lot of technique. And I would say 90% of them are playing your guitar. In these, that's like, amazing. I mean, that's amazing. I think, I think I mean, guys that, who that's... care that much about the instrument, I don't know if you've just really designed this for a player that's trying to do these kinds, this kind of yeah. guitar work. But well, it's kind of nice because it sort of transcends what you you know you want it to do, especially with a signature instrument. It transcends yourself, like, and it becomes more about the art of the design of the instrument. The fact that somebody else can get that enjoyment out of it and be inspired by it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with me. And I like that disconnect there. Yeah, and that's why you see so many people playing it. Um, but the other side to uh, the, the president of uh, Ernie Ball Music Man, Sterling Ball, who I've known for now 20 years, is that he's a, uh, a champion um, barbecue pit master uh. who, uh, yeah, he's award-winning barbecue pit master who is an unbelievable cook. And uh, he got into um, barbecue at, at one point in his career to the point where he started a company called Big Papa's Smokers. And so it was the only, I don't know if it still is, it might be, the only U.S. Um, uh, distributor for, for uh, smokers, pellet smokers and things oh, okay, like that. Yeah. It, it, it expanded into where they sell rubs and sauces and cutlery and meat and everything as well. And they do competitions. But at some point, he decided to send all of his endorsers. So it'd be like me, Luca Thirsty, Morris, uh, Albert Lee smokers so one day this like you know two thousand dollar like pellet smoker shows up at my house in new york and i'm like what the hell do i do with this thing and uh you know talk about somebody who's passionate about the things that he does you know sterling takes it to where he becomes a champion you know yeah it's winning like kingsford uh events so it's like okay i better learn how to use this thing and i started to get into it and that opened up a whole different side of our relationship mine and sterling's talking about, you know, barbecue and smoking and meat temperatures and recipes and everything. And uh, it, it turned out to be fun. You know, I, I've heard like, there's guys that are super, super, super invested in into it. I hear even like somebody like Dave Grohl is like super hardcore into it. Is that right? Um, I, I use the smoker as much as I can. Uh, sometimes not as often as I'd like being in New York with the cold, colder climate yeah. for part of the year. But tonight I'm going to smoke a couple of chickens because it's the weather's nice and uh, it's going to be fun. So, yeah, it's it's a fun side. I'm no way anywhere near the level of Sterling and his expertise, but it, it's cool. It's a cool hobby. It's fun. And I don't know, man, something about the way chicken, turkey, ribs, steaks, fish, whatever you do comes out in the smoker. That's just I'm, it's like you'll never go to a restaurant again. It's just so good. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm 100% with yeah. you. I, and so I, I got thinking about it because there's a video from the Distance Over Time uh, release time that yeah. shows you the, a lot of stuff, but it shows you doing that. And then as I was just kind of trolling around the internet today, because uh, I, I, I want to talk about you've got the, the John Petrucci Guitar Universe, and there's this this amazing picture of you in front of this layout of, of cooking meat. Uh, on right. that website. Uh, so let's use that as a transition. You're doing it again this year in July, right? I am. So the, the John Petrucci's Guitar Universe, this will be the 3.0. So we did two so far. 
the one that's happening in July in California was actually rescheduled from last year. Okay. Because of COVID and the pandemic, it didn't happen. And we did postpone it a year. So it'll be July 27th to 31st at the Anaheim Marriott in California. First time doing it on the West Coast. The first two were done on Long Island um, on, in New York. Yeah. And uh, lots of firsts in this. It's going to be so amazing. My beautiful, talented wife, Raina, is going to be that. one of the guest instructors. So yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Um, the collection of guest instructors is mind-blowing, the level of talent. It's, and, and it's totally international. You got Joshua Stefan, Gypsy Jazz uh, artist from uh, Germany, Tom Quayle from the UK. Um, we got Kiko Larrera and uh, um, Mateus Asado, who are Brazilian. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Tosin Abasi, Jason Richardson, who did my other two clinics. So they're coming back, not clinics, um, camps. So they're coming back to join us again. I don't want to leave anybody out. We have plenty from Australia. Uh, a lot of a lot of these guys. It's their first time doing my camp. So. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. And you can go to John Petrucci's guitaruniverse.com to see all of the guest instructors. Is there um, still, I haven't is there still anybody out. room for uh, like enrollment to go? I think there is still room for enrollment. I know a lot, the people that enrolled last year, it carried over to this year, but there's probably still spots. If people want to go, it's going to be in California again at the Anaheim Marriott. If anybody, if any musician has ever attended the NAM show, it's that location right right yeah. next to the convention center. It's a great spot. Disneyland is right next door. And we like to have fun. You know, Sterling Ball will be there. Uh, I believe he's going to cook for everybody. Oh, nice. Um, at my past camps, we've done wine tastings. We have fun. We hang out. There's jams. There's concerts. There's master classes. It's really, really, really cool. And again, if I uh, mistakenly left out any instructors, I apologize and Go to JohnPetrucciesGuitarUniverse.com. You can see everybody listed there. Yeah, I w definitely wanted to plug that uh, because yeah, thank I, you. There's so many. Um, I, I know players who have talked about wanting to go. A lot of them international, and yeah. a lot of times the barrier is is you know just travel. So I think it's cool you're sure. doing it on West Coast. Um, yeah, but I wanted to I wanted to be sure we mention it um, for folks who want to who want to come because even I uh, you, it. is it does it st top out though like there's only so many you can take yeah there are right exactly i believe now my my camps have been the largest of all the ones that Dreamcatcher has done because they they do them for other artists like joe satrani and steve Vai and and other players and and mine are tend to be more of a universe so we'll have i think we cap out at 200 and um 200 campers and we have a lot of guest instructors okay so it's it's an experience but yeah if there's if you people are interested and if there's some open slots left i recommend you jump on them now so the last thing i want to ask you about uh ties back into something you just became uh almost obsessed with but this beard of yours which just <laughs> just is it's so luxurious uh, i don't know if that's a word but you've got this sure. partnership with Captain Fawcett. How did that come about? So um, as with uh, anything in life, you know, you, you, there are certain things you just, you get into and it becomes a, ha a hobby, you know, yeah. whether that's smoking, uh, meaning barbecue, yeah, that kind of smoking um, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. In this case, it's bearding. I've always had some kind of facial hair, you know, probably since uh, the Awake album, probably since like, 90 
94, 93, 94. Yeah. But at some point, I don't know why, I just decided to get into like what would happen, you know, if I grew a full beard out. And I just started getting into it, you know, and, and like anything else, I dove in and turns out there's a whole world, there's <laughs> a, a whole bearding culture with all these different companies with products and there's videos on how to trim and what to do and, you know, the different combs and tools and brushes and scissors. It's, it's a whole thing you could very easily get sucked into, which I did. Um, but through that process, you know, I'd buy different products to try things out. At one point, Raina bought me uh, some some product from Captain Fawcett, like you said, a UK company, and I just absolutely loved it. I loved the product, I loved the scent, I loved their their vibe and their whole aesthetic and everything. It's really cool. You got to check out Captain Fawcett. There's this whole lore and mythology behind the company that's really really cool. Um, anyway, I became a uh, a customer. I bought more stuff. I used their stuff. Um, and, uh, I, I guess through that process, through ordering stuff at some point they reached out because this is some of these things happen this way organically. One of the, the people that worked there was a dream theater fan, was a guitar player. And they wrote saying this guy, this guy, Corey is a fan. Hey, would you, you know, be into, I forget what the first thing was. We, I shared, they shared some of my Instagram posts. I did some things for them. Um, eventually, uh, Corey came to a dream theater show. In fact, it was the live at London show that we filmed for the DVD that, that came out last year. And, um, you know, at that show, because Captain Fawcett already does, um, collaborations with barbers, uh, tattoo models, different, different, they've done like nine different celebrity quote unquote collaborations with yeah. beard sense. Um, I said, Hey, if you ever wanted to do one with a, a bearded guitar player, I'd love to do it. And, and I was thinking about, it, I'm like, I don't think with all the bearded musicians and guitar players, I don't know if I've ever seen that angle. I've seen no, some, anybody do that. You know, if they have, I just, maybe I missed it, but I'm like, because they're, they, again, they were collaborating with like models, um, you know, uh, bikers famous like stylists and barbers and stuff but no musicians i'm like man so many musicians have beard like they're, they're into this yeah and so they said yeah we'd love to and it just it happened and we developed you know, we had a bunch of meetings and we did, did some scent research and and uh they they're brilliant at their art and packaging and marketing and we it's started called, this thing and, called, and lo and behold, I have a, uh, a men's grooming product line with Captain Fawcett called Nebula. And right. uh, in fact, we just did a really cool, this shows like the support of the different companies and everything and how important relationships are. But we just did a really cool contest where Ernie Ball Music Man got involved and Dunlop got involved and Captain Fawcett and somebody won one of my Nebula majesties and Wah Pedal and all this great stuff. And you know, people are really great with that contest. So um, it, it's, a, it's a big family and it's fun tying in different loves, whether it be, you know, bearding or guitar or barbecue or whatever. It's kind of fun bringing all these things together yeah. and making this whole culture. Well, yeah. So thanks for asking about that. I appreciate it. Well, I was, um, I don't, I can't grow a beard. Like this is the extent of what I can do genetically. 
So I have gotcha. like, I have beard envy, I guess right. is what you'd call it. <laughs> um, but your your beard made back years ago. There was this really great program on VH1 called um, That Metal Show with Eddie Trump. Right, of course. And what? And I know you've been on that show, and there were but they would do these like it's like it was top ten list or something, and they each of the guys would nominate, and they did a category for rock beards, and you and got nominated by Eddie. He says, uh, where did Petrucci came out of nowhere with this like amazing beard. Uh, and that's when, you know, like they really, there was a lot of musicians just began to do that. Um, yeah. Zach Wilde, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Eddie. Your, your beard made Eddie trunk. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I ended up playing, like you said, as a guest, uh, I, I, the, the show that I play, I was like the guitar player they'd cut to for commercials and I'd shred. Yeah. And it was the show that Getty Lee was on. It was the first That's time right. I met Getty. Oh, is that, that your really first cool. time? Yeah, I never met him before. Oh, wow. It was awesome. I met him. I met him on the set of that show. And then they invited me down. Next thing I know, I'm sitting next to him discussing rush albums oh how cool man it was awesome it was really awesome yeah that's awesome because i know that you've been a fan of rush um i mean that you've talked about that a lot of times um okay so to end this let me let me ask you this what's what kind of mountains are are ahead of you that you want to climb whether musical or something else like is there something you haven't tried yet that you know you want to when time permits um you know what? There is something that I'm actually getting involved with that uh, you will learn very soon, okay. forthcoming. Okay. That's another area that, I, that I'm interested in, uh, and that's a lot of fun for me as well. Um, so, so you'll see that kind of come to there's life. There's an announcement coming later this year, maybe. There's an announcement coming very soon. Oh, very soon. Very, very, very soon. Um, but uh, you know what? All, all the things, they continue to inspire me and intrigue me, you know, uh, guitar and musical instrument design. And of course, just, just being a guitar player and trying to learn new stuff. And, you know, I, am grateful that during this really crazy and difficult year with the pandemic that I've been able to, you know, create music and, and continue to do what I love. And, uh, you know, the biggest mountain, honestly, this might sound kind of cliche, cliche or corny, but right now is when live performances are going to start up again and we're all going to yeah. be able to get out there and enjoy touring and playing live and doing what we love to do, which is sharing music, you know, with people. So when that, that's the mountain I can't wait to, uh, to get to, to the get top back of. on when, when that comes around, will you guys continue with the tour that was, or will you build in some of the new record at this point? Right. Well, th- it's really hard to say. It depends on the timing, Yeah. you know, it depends on the timing and when the record's coming out and when that happens. So it's really, it's so a little we'll have to stay to tuned for that. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to leave you with a slightly personal story. Um, I, I can't remember if I told you this before, but it goes back to something. Everybody, I think, who knows you knows uh, about your amazing facility on the instrument. Um, uh, not just shredding, but the, the expressiveness. Uh, and I think what distinguishes you for me is n- not just the technical facility, but the way you're able to use that to communicate musical ideas. Um, you know, whether it's just uh, an expression of your soul or uh, an intellectual idea or a, a concept album. But you wrote a you wrote a song on the Awake album called Scarred. Right. And there is you wrote the lyrics for that. And this, you know, I don't know, 30 years ago. I, I, I don't know how long ago you wrote wrote that. But yeah. 
and, and I won't get into too many details, but the the narrative that you construct for that particular song all these years later, like hit me squarely in my own personal life. And wow. it was um, like it was cathartic. And I just I think you need to I wanted to share with you. I think that one of the um, unsung, if I can say it that way, um, skills you possess is as a lyricist to communicate um so well, you know, in concert with the music, ideas and, and story that I think really can touch people. I could, I could actually give you more examples from your, from your work to do that. But that one was like, I, I, behind me, you can't see it, but um, just out of sight right. is my own where I sit up and sing. And I've been going through a bunch of Dream Theater songs just, you know, to nice. my chops up. And when I do that tune, there's sometimes I struggle to get through it for emotion. Wow. So I just want you to know, I think, I think the music there's a there's a, a lot of fans who just love how crunchy metal it is and that's val- valid and valuable and really cool but there's the, the other end of that spectrum there's like a way that the music i think has its emotional core that i think is part of what has created its timelessness like you're cre- you've got new fans and it's rare to find somebody who has li- heard you and become a fan that is no longer a fan and i think it's right. a testament to this i think i think it's a testament to some of this what i'm i'm describing in yeah. uh, the thoughtfulness well thank you Thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it, you're getting back to the emotional connection we started this yeah. whole thing off with. It's really important to make that w- with people. And, uh, you know, cre- I was always into creative writing and, you know, I never took it to the extent that you did writing novels, but I found that writing lyrics, lyrics for me in songs was the perfect outlet for that. And I, I enjoy that just as much as the music. It's fun. Um, you know, reading, I grew up reading Neil Peart's music and yeah, well, uh, Neil Peart's lyrics in in Rush and uh, miss him dearly. Obviously we all do, but you know, it's what an inspiration. And I love that side of it. And I, I never get tired of hearing somebody sharing a story, how something that, that I wrote or the band wrote, whether it's music or lyrics touched them in their life in a very deep and personal way. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's what well, it's all I wanted. About. It's uh, really cool. I think a lot of your fans have that connection. Yeah. Um, and you know, go, going through this whole COVID thing, there's a, a line from Lines in the Sand that says, "Sometimes a view from sinless eyes centers our perspective and pacifies our cries." And I've right. reflected on that in my own like journey through this isolation and, and you know the challenging right. times. Anyway, I just it's just another for me validation of of the music, and so I'm so honored that's that you awesome. would spend some time. Uh, with me to kick this whole thing off. Um, Absolutely. Congratulations. I'm yeah. very happy for you. I hope this turns into a huge success. Yeah. I'm sure you'll have a lot of exciting guests, but uh, congratulations and thanks for including me as, again, your inaugural That's right. Interview. I wouldn't have it any other way. So thank <laughs> awesome, you, um, folks. Just so you remember, we've got um, the new LTE 3 record releases the 16th, which is just two days from now on Friday. Um, Terminal Velocity, John's most recent solo record, is out. Um, as you can tell, I'm a fan, but I think with uh, it was I step back objectively. This record, anybody who's a fan of guitar music is going to love this record. And I was going to tell you, John, even though I reach back all the time to the older DT stuff, um, Distance Over Time hasn't left my CD player because I still buy physical media in months. That's awesome. Um, so I can commend everybody to the most recent DT record uh, as they wait for 
more information on the new release that's coming. So again, that's awesome. Thank thanks, you, John. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck to those chickens. You're gonna go grill up. All right, buddy. They're gonna be. <laughs> I wish you could taste them. They're gonna come out really good. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll be <laughs> mouth watering from here. All right, my All friend. Right. You take care. You too. All I'll right. talk to you soon. Okay. Right, bye bye. Take care. Bye.